Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to The Evolver, sponsored by The Alchemist Kitchen, hosted by Ken Jordan. When I first encountered stories about shamanic healers from the Amazon rainforest, back in the ancient 20th century when we all believed in progress with a capital P, I couldn't overcome a deep-seated prejudice. It came from the jungle. If it came from the jungle, it must be hopelessly primitive, archaic. How could a guy wearing face paint and a grass skirt compare with a million-dollar brain surgeon wielding an electric scalpel? It was the difference between superstition and science. Fast forward to today, my worldview has flipped. Of course, I appreciate the technical accomplishments of allopathic medicine. If I need a limb replaced after a car crash, I know where to go. It is truly amazing that we can implant new hearts and salvage deteriorating corneas. Believe me, I'm grateful. But when it comes to zeroing in on what it means to be well and understanding the root causes of disease... I now recognize that traditional healers who approach the body through its energetics have access to insights that contemporary MDs tragically ignore. Today, I regard the lineage holders of shamanic traditions as among the truly sophisticated practitioners, the ones who actually see, using their third eye, what's going on. The shedding of this prejudice of mine took many years and happened in stages. It was helped along by my own experiences with plant spirit medicine and the realization that nature's intelligence is vastly greater than humanity's most futuristic technologies. Nothing that Elon Musk will ever pay for will have one hundredth of the genius as the spark that created the sunflower. Part of nature's intelligence went into making the mind-boggling complexity of the human body, which is capable of so much more than allowed for by our materialist paradigm. But as Alberto Violdo explains in today's episode, When shamans are trained in an ancient lineage, they become versed in the way the spiritual energy operates in the universe. They develop special abilities that are present but latent in all of us, including the ability to see auras, clairvoyant communication, and the channeling of spirits. In the shamanic worldview, the toolkit you use to heal the sick also provides the context for understanding what illness actually is an energetic imbalance that has much or more to do with your emotional center as it does with your physiological mechanics. Few people have greater insight into this territory than Alberto Violdo. Alberto was trained as a psychologist and medical anthropologist and has mastered the healing practices of the Amazonian and Andean shamans. Alberto directs the Four Winds Society, where he trains individuals in the practice of shamanic medicine. He has written numerous best-selling books, including Shaman Healer Sage, One Spirit Medicine, and Dance of the Four Winds. His latest book, The Heart of the Shaman, Stories and Practices of the Luminous Warrior, was just released from Hay House. In this episode, we talk about how Alberto's personal sacred dream motivated him to bring the wisdom of Amazonian Andean shamans to Western society and the initiatory experience where, during an ayahuasca ceremony, his old self died and he discovered his true destiny. It struck me as a powerful and inspiring story, and I hope you feel the same. 
Part of the vision for Evolver included an online marketplace where products made by community members could be offered to others. The Alchemist Kitchen grew out of this marketplace. It's a botanical dispensary that offers the highest quality whole plant remedies, botanical medicines, and beauty products from the best artisanal herbal makers from across the country. You can find herbal products on the Alchemist Kitchen site to help you sleep better, reduce pain, boost energy, find calm, think sharper, and much more. And if you happen to be in New York City, come by the Alchemist Kitchen flagship location. It's at 21 East 1st Street, between the Bowery and 2nd Avenue, on the border between the East Village and Soho. You can have a state-changing herbal elixir from the Tonic Bar and chat with one of the staff herbalists about the products we've curated and what might be best for you. In my own experience, as I began to be aware of what I eat, cut out processed foods and refined sugar, and get in better shape through yoga, etc., my body's sensitivity to what I put into it increased. A lot. And I discovered that the right kind of plant medicine could be more effective than pharmaceuticals while being gentler on the system. And I started to pay attention more to what my body was telling me, which took some time because I grew up eating the worst kinds of junk and assumed that feeling bloated and sluggish was just part of the human condition. I discovered how the judicious use of plant allies could help to boost my system and shift me from worrying about warding off illness to maintaining a high level of wellness. On thealchemistkitchen.com, you'll find a blog with lots of information about herbal wellness and an assortment of products that will inspire you to see the connection between your body and the plant kingdom in a whole new way. The Alchemist Kitchen is devoted to the power of plants. And if you stop by the spot on East 1st Street, mention the Evolver podcast and get 10% off any purchase of herbal remedies or CBD. So thank you for being on. It's great to have you here with us. Thank you. The Heart of Shaman, it's a beautiful book, your new book, The Stories and Practices of the Luminous Warrior. Mm, Thank you. What really struck me about it was how you're taking the many years of training and understanding that you have as a healer in the Inca lineage and sharing a more philosophical perspective that is from that lineage with people to help them to ground and to live a healthier and happier life by understanding the world as a sacred dream. It's a beautiful thing that you've done. And I was wondering if you might want to share a little bit about your thoughts about the book and your intentions around the book. The Heart of the Shaman is about finding and honoring your sacred dream. And that dream that's going to take you not only through the next year, but through the next lifetime. It has to be infused with meaning and it has to be able to give you a way to, to, that you can express your, your creativity and your power to make a positive change. Today, we're so distracted by and seduced by the everyday dreams of money or power or fame or getting, a, getting more likes on your Facebook page that, we're, that we forget that we're here to serve a, a sacred dream and be part, an essential part of that sacred dream that the future of humanity really hinges on our being able to find what our peace is and to deliver it and to really make a difference. 
is the sacred dream a very private thing or is it something you can discuss with somebody else? Can you expose it to other people? You know, the sacred dream is totally public, but we think that it's private because we believe that it's personal. The sacred dream is not personal, but the form that it takes is very unique to you. And there are three steps to it. And two of these steps have really been mastered in the East and in the West. And in the East, they really focus the spiritual traditions on waking up. You've got to wake up. You've got to wake up from the dream, from the nightmare that you're living in. So they're traditions of awakening. In the West, we, we don't focus so much on waking up, but on growing up. And our Western psychology really has a lot to contribute from the perspective of growing up. In the East, you know, there's a lot of immature spirituality. So you can sit and meditate and chant Om for a very long time, but that's not going to really bring about the kind of dream for the planet that we're all looking for. So waking up, growing up, and then showing up. And this is the shaman's contribution, that we have to show up to become part of a much greater dream that is the dream of, of, of life in the cosmos, not only even in this planet. So the minute that you're able to find that and find a way that you can serve it, then your entire life becomes lines up behind it. I can have, I have a vague idea what it means to wake up. And growing up is something I've been trying to do for a while, so I think I have my hands around that. But the showing up piece, I'm interested in what that means to you. And when you say that that's shamanic. Well, you know, waking up is very personal. You wake up and you realize that, wow, this, this is amazing. This life is an incredible journey and I can become conscious and live consciously in this journey in this life. And sometimes the medicine plants are really helpful for this. Because you have a tremendous waking up experience. That's for sure. And then the the growing up part has to do with what's my what's my part? How do I fit into this whole scheme of things? And many of us keep going back to the weekend ayahuasca ceremony to try to wake up some more so that we but we forget that now we're in the growing up stage. Now you've got to integrate, you've got to make it part of your everyday life, you've got to bring the divine down into the world. The mystic, for example, what the mystic does is the mystic goes to these heavenly realms and sits there and resides there. The shaman goes to these same realms and brings back the medicine down into the earth to create heaven on earth. So this is the growing up part. And so many of us are stuck here. How do, how do we grow up in this world? I don't want to be part of this world. And but you've got to you've got to mature. You've got to integrate your medicine, your wisdom, and all of the revelations that you've received during your waking up part. And then showing up means that you're you're part of the solution. And if you don't show up with your medicine and your gifts, then you're part of the problem still. So the showing up is how do you how do we dream beauty? in a world that's increasingly ugly because of the violence that's happening in the world and the greed and the scarcity and the, the, the migrants that are drowning off of the coast of Africa trying to make it to Europe and the, uh, and the wall that we're trying to build with Mexico to keep those hungry Mexicans out that are going to take our jobs and our children. So this is not part of a global solution. 
This is trying to build a, a wall around your gated community so nobody comes and takes what you what you have. So showing up means thinking globally, acting locally. We know many of these slogans. It means well taking responsibility, being, a, being feeling like you have a stake and that you are now the adult who is ready to take care and mind. Yep what has been brought to you as part of your own privilege of actually being on this planet. I'm just curious, though, what makes that shamanic when you think shamanic? This is what's missing in Washington, you know. There's, there are no adults oh, in the God. room. It's, in, it's no, incredible. Totally. So what makes this shamanic? Well, the shaman had to show up for the community, for their patients, if they were healers. They were helping the hunters to track the buffalo. They had to be able to tell where the buffalo were going to be tomorrow morning so that the village could eat. They had to show up not only in their own lives, but to the service of a greater good. And that greater good is your family, your village, and the world, the planet that we're living in. So what you're saying is in the traditional lineages, including the the Inca lineage in which you've been trained, that the shaman really plays a leadership role and needs to hold a responsible spot in the society in order to help others so they can do what they need to be doing. You know, I've got a good friend that lives in New York City and um, who's a Buddhist scholar, and he goes to Japan to teach, the, particularly the Zen Buddhist priest, because uh, he's such a great scholar. And he tells me that the Buddhist priests are leaving the, the city monasteries, and they're going up to the mountaintop monasteries to hold the vision of a healed earth where there's peace on earth because they feel they can make more of a difference today holding the vision of peace than teaching a young Japanese executive how to meditate on a cushion. So showing up doesn't mean just being a po- politically active. It doesn't mean only writing a check to the causes that you believe in. I tell my students, I want you to write a check to 10 charities that you support. And even if you, if you can only write a check every month for a dollar, send them a dollar so you're connected energetically to these causes. You know, I write a check to Doctors Without Borders, to the Peaceful Warriors, to uh, Greenpeace, to things that I believe in. And some months I can give them some money, some months I give them less, but I'm connected to. And it means that you're also in your meditation practice, not just looking for inner peace, but you're looking for global peace. And it doesn't mean that you're looking anymore for the best job in the world, but you're looking for the best best job for the world. I totally. No, I think I, I totally get that. And it's beautiful to have that connection, that sense of like, I am a part of it. Even if I can't give a lot right now, it's an extension of me. I am bringing it energy. I'm bringing it intention. And that helps to buoy the whole effort, whatever it is that you're, that you're connecting to. It's a, it's a wonderful way to bring your energy and your intention into a, a place of, of real engagement. But we operated the energetics. Showing up means showing up at four different levels. 
And these are the four levels that I train my students in in shamanic practice. The first is the level of the mundane at the physical level where you write a check to Greenpeace for $1 or $100. The second is the level of mind where you hold the new belief structures that are possible for us to to live in peace in the planet, to find peace in our own hearts. The third level and the four, there are four power animals that are connected to this. The first is the serpent, literal physical level. The second, the jaguar, the level of mind. What are the new, what are, what are the new paradigms that we want to entertain? The third is the level of hummingbird. Hummingbird is able to stop still in the middle of flight. They're able to hover. How do you find stillness in the middle of the chaos that's happening so that you can dream a new sacred dream? This is where the dreaming happens. And then at the fourth level, which is the level of eagle, is the energetics. How do you take and turn ceremony or meditation into a disruptive technology? We know that if we can hold world peace in our meditation practice, first, we, just, we know that meditation is just the beginning. It's not the goal. The goal is stilling the mind so that you can dream the world into being. And if you can do that, then you can begin by creating peace in your life, and then you create world peace. But the, the intermediate steps is that there's peace in your relationship, peace with your children, peace in your community, that you can create beauty in your life and eventually you create beauty in the world. But it has to be at these four levels. You can not only do it by opening your altar and chanting Om and envisioning world peace, you've got to do it at the level of serpent by bringing peace into your relationships. And whatever that takes. In the heart of the shaman, you talk about your teachers in the Inca lineage, the Laika. Laika, like the cameras. Laika. You know the camera, the Laikas? Of course, yes. I used to have an old Laika, 50-year-old Laika, one of these look to the viewfinder, not even a single lens reflex that I used to take up to the mountains with me. And the shamans would go, oh, Laika, wow, this must have a lot of medicine, that camera. Can you... <laughs> They didn't. Can you capture somebody's soul with a photograph from that camera? Awesome. So, so these were the. In fact, my teachers were pre-Inca. They were not really Inca. Inca were the latecomers. Ah. It's like saying that your teachers are American Indian. Well, they were there before the Americas were called America. So the medicine that I learned. It's from a very old lineage that goes back 50,000 years. And that most recently had about a 300-year period associated with the Inca. And these were the Laika. And you know, after the Spanish arrived, the Spanish needed the healers. They needed the midwives because they had babies. They needed the healers because the European medicine at that point consisted in putting leeches on your body. And these were master herbalists. But they persecuted the Laika because the Laika were the spiritual masters. They talked about a journey beyond death. They talked. They said that you were never kicked out of the garden, that you could still speak with God. And that was very heretical to the church, of course. In the book, you, you talk about how when the Spanish came, that the Laika moved into the mountains, that they just took off and separated themselves and protected their shamanic lineage 
for 500 years before coming down in 1950 and actually reintroducing themselves. Is that a fair way of capturing it? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And you know, this is there, there's precedent for this in other traditions. Like early Christianity thrived for 250 years inside the catacombs. They had to go into hiding. They were persecuted. Same with the with the Lycut, not the herbalist, not the ones that throw the coca leaves to do divination, not the uh, midwives. Though they needed those. Most of what we call shamans today are really these native healers. But the spiritual masters had to go into hiding. So how do you make a distinction for us, for those of us who don't necessarily fully understand, make a distinction between a spiritual master and a shaman, the way you're talking about it there? Well, the, the master is someone who has made the journey beyond death, whereas the healer or the herbalist knows a number of recipes for treating malaria or for treating fever or for helping a child to be born. So they are the apothecaries. They are able to deliver babies and help. But if you have an understanding of the working of the cosmos, to do that, you need to really spend a lot of time in training and including some of the training with the medicine plants. And then you understand how how the universe works. See, for a lot of people, the shamans are like, oh, that's the guy who served me ayahuasca. Right. And now you know, some people understand maybe there's more of a distinction that's a curandero is somebody who's more of somebody who, you know, somebody who actually will serve a plant medicine uh, experience and that a shaman knows more about the cornucopia of plants and also understands more about the way that energies and spirits work with those plants as part of a healing process. I'll tell you a story. I, I was having dinner with a very renowned brain surgeon who had come to the Amazon on one of our expeditions. Guy had written books. He operated on people's brains. And we had a couple of our shamans there. And we were having dinner. And he, being a, you know, surgeons have big egos. Brain surgeons have huge egos. So he says to the shaman, you know, what do you do? And, and the shaman says, no, oh, doctor, tell me what you do first. What do you do? Then he says, well, I will shave a person's head and I will cut open their scalp and I will cut through the bone and I'll remove that piece of bone and I will reach into their brain and I will remove a tumor from their head and I'll put the bone back and I'll sew them up again and that person will live. Can you do that? And the shaman says, oh, no, doctor, I can't do that. That's incredible. Then the brain surgeon says, what do you do then? He says, well, if somebody dies and it's not quite their time yet, I can follow their soul up through the first, the second, the third heaven, up to the fourth world, the source of all. And I could call their soul back and I can blow it back into their body and that person will live again. Can you do that? And then we all ordered a glass of wine. That's fantastic. Okay, so now if a shaman can do that, what does a laika do? You know, the, we think that the shaman is the person that fills your cup with ayahuasca. Uh, some of them are, but you can buy ayahuasca in the market. And most of the jungle peoples that are practicing ayahuasca medicine today are not really that well-trained because it's become very popular. Now, there's some really fantastic people as well. So the laika were 
the wisdom keepers that understood the workings of the cosmos in the same way that a physicist understands the workings of gravity and how it holds the spiral arms of a galaxy together. The Laika were not only charged with understanding this, they were charged with being the stewards of this incredible divine plan. Their meditation, their songs, their practices, their ceremonies were designed to keep the earth safe, to be part of, to be the guardians of the, the planet. They were the earth keepers. And it was through their presence and their practice and their meditation and their prayers that life could thrive on earth. I know this sounds pretty grandiose. Well. But this is with their task. Their task is to keep this perfect balance that we have in our planet, to keep the dream of green life and a blue-green planet in the middle of this galactic desert that we live in. Most everything else is like Mars or like Venus. <laughs> but we live in this right. blue-green gem, and it's through their prayers that this planet they held the dream of dreaming life in this planet. This was a this was a, a great shamanic endeavor from a very long time ago. And they are the ones who maintain this perfect balance of, for life to subsist, not just human life, but all life on the planet. And they understand how to do this. So when you meet a, a Laika or a very high level master, they're able to tell you how galaxies are born and how they die and how life emerges out of non-living matter. You know, stuff that we're still grappling with in science. And these were your teachers. One of them, as I understand it, Don Antonio found you effectively, <laughs> slowly revealing himself to you that he in fact was a master at this level. Yep. You were born in Cuba, you're a Latino, but you're effectively, you know, trained as a, in, in a Western lineage, Western tradition. As you came from, did you come from a line of doctors? Your grandfather opened a hospital. I mean, I, in in Cuba, yeah. There was a my my grandfather was a was trained actually at Columbia University in New York, and then went back to Cuba and opened Cuba's first hospital. So you have this in your you know in your heritage. You became a psychologist, eventually a medical anthropologist. You're grounded in the scientific method, and here you have somebody like a Don Antonio offering this kind of worldview to you when you were in Peru studying the healing cultures of the native people. How did you respond to that at the time? What did you think? You know, Ken, you've listed all of my credentials, most of them, actually really ah. well. Thank you. <laughs> and But these are the credentials from this lifetime. And the global understanding around the earth of the medicine people is that we come back many times. It's the myth of the eternal return that you find in the stories of the gods. So we've been together before, all of us. What my mentor said to me is that in one of my lives in the past, I was one of the stewards of, of the medicine and I was in service to my people. I wasn't a great shaman or anything. I was, I was another one of the medicine people in training. And that what I've done is to come back now so that I can complete uh, work that I started a thousand years ago. And then he started reading some of my former lifetimes. And he said, one of them, we were together. In fact, we were executed by the Spanish, you and I. 
and we were buried in the same tomb. And that's why we found each other again in life and not in death. So when I heard this, I said, well, this sounds rather cool. I was young. I had no idea of any of this. And then, of course, 10 years later in the Amazon during a medicine plant ceremony, I saw all these former lifetimes and I understood where I come from and what my what my job is. And I'm here to complete a job that I started a long time ago. Uh, so this is in a way why many of the shamans that I work with were very receptive to me. They could see my energy field and they could see the markings in the field and they could see that I had come to be in service to a wisdom teaching. And so they opened up to me. Uh, and it, initially I felt it was a privilege and now I understand that it's a mission and a task. And, uh, and my ego doesn't take it personally anymore. Is, is that your sacred dream? Yes. How would you encapsulate it just in a sentence? There are two parts to a sacred dream. The first part is what you want to do. And the second part is how you want to be so that your doing comes out of your being. So that the sacred dream is not only a job, but it's a state that uh, it's a luminous state that you grow and culture and cultivate, and that it informs your doing, your action sources from that dream. And then your action is quite pure. So my sacred dream is to be in service to an ancient wisdom of stewardship of this planet and of all its living beings, and to share that wisdom as best I can. How did that dream become clear to you? Was it quick like was it a flash or was it something that happened over time kind of revealing itself slowly in a way that you could absorb it more easily it was a flash it was a total revelation and it was it was very early in my life and then i ran away from it of course for the next 20 years i was having too good a time I was a young man, I was an anthropologist, I was traveling, I was exploring the world, I was you know, going through all of the, uh, the, the, the chasing of love and of the right lover and of fortune and of fame and all of these things that kept me from what I knew was a calling. And finally I said, all right, I got to do what I came here to do. And, um, and then all of those other things simply faded away. What was the turning point for you? To me, it was there were two things. One was the, the experience of my own death in the Amazon with uh, an ayahuasca master, who was a Laika also. He took me through my own dying. I was, we, I'll tell you the story. We, he lived uh, right near where the Shipibo people do in Pucallpa in Peru, but in a place called Lake Yarina Cocha exquisite little lake about 20 minutes from the city of Pucallpa and he had a small lake in the back of his house the front of his house led to the big lake and there was a little lake right behind it and during the ceremony <clears throat> I go to the lake just to put some cold water on my face and I wade in and I let the waters become still again and I look at the reflection of the moon and the moon is gigantic and it's so beautiful and then as I'm looking at the reflection on the water of the moon, I see my own face. And then my face is lit up by the moon. And then I feel this beak that's biting into my face, that's hammering into my face, the beak of a 
great bird and I see the reflection of this head of this great bird and it's sinking its beak into my flesh and it's pulling my flesh out one bite at a time. Oh, and I can feel the pain. And you know, this is like a full 3D color ayahuasca experience. And I turned, oh. I turned to the medicine man and I, he, I go, it's killing me. And he said, yes, it's finally found you. And uh, I go, he'll help me. And he said, no, this is an engagement that you have had with fear for a very long time. Oh, wow. So it's time to die. It's like, this is your, it caught you. you some part of you has got to be released. All of is me. That kind of how, all of me had all to, of you. to be released from the nightmare that I was living in. And this is why this book, The Heart of the Shaman, is about waking up growing up and showing up from these three dreams that become nightmares. For me, it was a nightmare primarily of love, where I was trying to find love through the other. I was trying to find the perfect partner that could see me for who I really was. But I wasn't loving myself. I was incapable of loving myself. I despised myself in so many ways. But anyway, I wrestled this bird to the ground, but it it was it was like a flamingo. It was huge and it was bounding and it was sticking its beak in my face until finally- So you could feel it. When you say you wrestled it to the ground, you feel like you could grab it? Were you having an experience of actually oh, engaging yeah. physically with something? Yes. Totally. Wow. And But finally, finally it took, got the better of me, sunk its beak into my flesh and stripped all the flesh from my face. And then I managed, and, and I felt the blood coming down my chest and I managed to make my way to the pond, to the lagoon, and I looked at my reflection again, and the first thing I saw was my skull. And I looked into the eye sockets, and there were worms coming out of the eye sockets. And oh, oh man! And then I could smell the rot, and then I put water on my face to wash, wash it away, and I washed all of that away, and I looked at my face again, and my face had come back, and it was resplendent, it was glowing. I found my original face, my true face. And it was not the face that I put out to the world of being this cool anthropologist and of being this. No, it was my re, it was who I really was with all of my beauty and all my flaw, all my flaws. It was my real face, my authentic original face. And that's when I said, okay, with this face, I can now face my destiny and embrace it. But for all of us, it requires a dying. The dying part is what wakes you up from the nightmare that you're caught in. That notion of having to die to grow into your higher self in order to enter a place of enlightenment is common among many mystical lineages. It can get framed in different ways. There's different sort of narrative ways that people report having that experience. But it's a very, it's something that gets talked about. It's, it's universal. universal, totally, yep. But then, you know, that's the waking up part. Then you have to grow up. So I'd say, okay, well, what's my medicine? And how do I use my medicine to heal? And then I have to show up to do that. So this is, these are the three important steps. Many of us get stuck in the waking up part. And it's so delicious to wake up. You wake up and you discover another facet of God. You're having lunch with the great spirit again in the next ayahuasca ceremony. But how do you integrate that? Make the medicine yours so you grow up, so you heal from your childhood wounds, so you so you forgive. I had a, a friend of mine come and call me the other day. I said, you know, 
I finally forgiven my mother. This fellow is almost 60 years old. His mother's in a convalescent home. I finally forgave her for what she did to me. And I said to him, well, have you, have you asked her to forgive you? And she said, why should I ask her to forgive me? She was an alcoholic. She beat me. So have you asked her to forgive you? <laughs> oh, you remember that you were a parasite living inside her belly for nine months, eating before she did, sucking up all of the nutrients in her body and her bones. You better go ask her to forgive you. <laughs> and of course, until we're ready to do that, uh -huh. we're not complete. So we got we to gotta grow up. We got to realize that we are who we are with all of our perfection and all of our imperfection and love every bit of it. And then we can begin to show up. One of the things I was interested in talking with you about is how important it is for someone who is, especially someone who's playing the role of a healer, to have gone through a healing, to have been healed in order to hold that space. It sounds like what you're saying kind of echoes that. Yeah, completely. You've got to go through your own healing and you've got to embody it. Otherwise, you end up, if you go to the wrong therapist or the wrong shaman, they end up trying to heal themselves through you. Especially today when there's so many shamans. Everybody's a shaman today. It's kind of amazing. I live in Brooklyn. I mean, you can't walk down the street without bumping into a shaman, you know? Totally. <laughs> so this notion of do your healing first is not widely discussed, right? That certainly people are going through awakening experiences. Sometimes the awakening can happen kind of in stages. You get the, especially in our secular society where people grow up without any real sense of the sacred. Um, or the, of the spirit world. And then they have like a moment where they crack through because of, say, their ayahuasca experience or their kundalini yoga experience or they had something happen during a meditation. And then they're like, oh, wow, there's something there. I thought there was nothing there. Actually, there is something there. That becomes such a huge shift in perspective for, for people that they can kind of get stuck in that for a while before they even begin to approach the level of surrender that you describe in your experience. For yourself, as you were entering into this, into these practices with the Laika, were you coming with a, already an opening towards spirituality? Were you a spiritual person or a seeker at that point in your life? Or is a lot of this just... No, you know, Ken, my background is as an anthropologist. So I did psychology and anthropology. And at that time, I was working at uh, San Francisco State University in a brain laboratory. And we were trying to determine if we could create psychosomatic health, not just psychosomatic disease. And then I had a research grant to go to the Amazon. So I wasn't a particularly spiritual person. In fact, I was a particularly misbehaved human being. I, you know, getting in trouble all the time and staying way up way, way too late and having way, way too much fun. <clears throat> that was what was happening in California, San Francisco in the 1970s and 80s. Had you done a little, say, psychedelics at that point in your life and had some experience with that? Uh, you know, yeah, but it was mostly a party kind of experience. So it, the uh, when I went to the Amazon, I went as an anthropologist, and then I began to understand the depth of the wisdom that these people had. And the invitation, I remember one of my teachers saying to me, Alberto, the first thing we have to do is to heal your ignorance. I said, what do you mean heal my ignorance? I have a PhD. He said, exactly my point. So 
I had a lot of information, but very little wisdom. And remember that what we're looking at here is a tradition that differentiates between wisdom and information. We live in an information age. We're bombarded with information, but wisdom, information is knowing that water is H2O. Wisdom is being able to make it rain. Uh, information is knowing and having a diagnosis. Wisdom is being able to heal. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. What I do right now is what the shamans are excellent at. The, the shamans are really not that great healers. They're fantastic at prevention. That's They're fantastic at avoiding getting sick in the first place. They're fantastic. They're fantastic at avoiding running into the jaguar so you don't have to, you know, befriended on a dark night. So which can be exciting also. They are great at avoiding conflict and not resolving conflict. So how do you prevent cancer, heart disease, dementia? And when I was first in the Amazon, I had a research grant from Big Pharma and they were they were looking for the next big cancer cure. These people had no cancer. They had no heart disease. There was no dementia. And the medicine plants that I've worked with and that I continue to work with today are what are known as the NRF2 activators. They switch on the longevity genes. They silence the genes that create heart disease and that create dementia, that create cancer, so you don't have to have cancer. So you don't need to go to a shaman and ask the shamans heal cancer. Well, how about avoiding it altogether? And we know how to do that today. Now, this is in my next book that's coming out in a couple of months. It's called Grow a New Body. What are the sacred plants that will allow you not only to heal, but to grow a new liver and a new heart or to grow a new brain and to upgrade the quality of your body so that you can become part of the quantum leap and evolution that's happening right now? And today we have the science for them. We understand that they work by hacking into password-protected regions of your DNA and switching on the genes that will let you grow a new body. Because we know how to grow a new body because we did. You know, we did once. So those instructions are still there, but now they're in password-protected regions of our DNA. So people can follow those practices in a totally secular way. They don't necessarily have to have an engagement with spirit of the kind that, that you have developed in your, in your training, but they can still benefit from the sort of simple practical knowledge of different health practices that will keep you yeah. in balance effectively. What these practices do, Ken, is that they, they do three things. They repair your gut, they upgrade your brain, and they support your mitochondria. The minute that you repair the brain and upgrade it, that you have access to the higher order neural networks in the brain, at that point, spirituality becomes unavoidable. 
at that point, you understand how the universe works, whether you take ayahuasca or not. <laughs> well, what do you mean by that? I'm sorry, could you explain that to me? I mean, how do you, you suddenly start getting visions? I mean, what happens? No, you don't get visions. You get understanding. I know that you've had your fair share of plant ceremonies, but there's a certain time at a certain point in working with the plants that you have a deep insight you cannot put words around. You understand the nature of the cosmos. It's not a vision. It's a profound understanding. It's greater clarity than you've ever had in your life. Absolutely. And this is what happens when you upgrade the quality of the brain. Then spirituality becomes unavoidable. Then higher consciousness is bestowed upon you. You access it because it's also a quality of your brain and nervous system. In your book, One Spirit Medicine, you talk about how our poor diet and our poor self-care in Western society has actually, in a way, kind of dulled the brain in a way that makes it difficult yeah. to have access to that kind of understanding. Completely. And in fact, when I started working with the medicine plants in the jungle, the first thing I had to do was to go through a dieta, a diet that lasted for two or three weeks <clears throat> to detox and to up and to begin to upgrade the quality of my brain to to be able to function not only from the predatory brain that lives in scarcity and in fear, but from this higher brain that lives in abundance and understands the nature of the cosmos and is compassionate. So in I did a book a few years ago called Power Up Your Brain where our premise was that spirituality has been hijacked by religion when it's really the byproduct of an awakened brain and nervous system and a luminous energy field that is vibrant and alive. So what we call spirituality becomes an unavoidable kind of wisdom that you attain as you upgrade the quality of your being human. And this can come from the proper use of plants in your diet. Is that a big part of it? Yeah, that's a big part of it, but they're not the psychedelic plants. They are the plants that silence the genes that create the seas and that switch on the longevity genes. These genes are known as the SIRT1 genes, the sirtuins, and I call them the immortality genes. But they're genes that we all have, but they're, they're quiet, they're, they're they're, they're not active. You have to switch them on with these plants, which are the, the sacred plants, and you have to switch them on with your consciousness. You have to hold a space of deep stillness so that you can actually participate in selecting and, and epigenetically selecting the kind of genes and health that you want to express. So you can create psychosomatic health. So you started down this path through your training with the Laika and the Amazonian shamans who brought your attention to these to plants more broadly yeah. beyond the ones that bring visions, but the ones that simply you understand that the body is, is receptive to the complex uh, entourage effect of having whole plant nutrition and understanding yeah. which plants are the ones that are, are most beneficial to you and that being in a place of balance in your diet will lead you away from having to, to depend on pharmaceuticals and other Western medical interventions that really lead you away 
from that kind of full spectrum. In, in the West, we have we don't have a healthcare system. In the West, we have a deceased care system. So in the West, we treat disease. Doctors are trained to treat disease. They're not trained to prevent disease. They're trained to treat it. The amount of research that goes into treating Alzheimer's, nobody's been able to figure it out. The money that's been thrown at this is incredible, and we know how to prevent it with the right neuronutrients, the right brain nutrients. So this is it's not in our culture. What I did with the shamans is to really, they had to open my eyes to a different approach to health. And the basis of that approach to health is that if you create the spiritual, the emotional, and the nutritional conditions for health, eat the right food, forgive, laugh a lot, connect with spirit, then disease goes away. Disease never appears. You practice prevention. Did their training change the way you see plants and relate to plants? You know, I did. I asked... I was in the Amazon at a time when nobody went there because there was a lot of terrorism happening in Peru. But I spoke the language and I figured that I, you know, I was a a poor graduate student. Nobody would want to kidnap me. So I was kind of foolish. But I was deep in the headwaters of the Amazon one time. And a young man that I had befriended came over to me and he put a piece of chewing gum, like, of chewed up gum in my hand. It was dark brown. And I asked him, what is it? He said, curare. And I dropped it immediately because curare is a neurotoxin. And it's used, they put this in the very tip of the darts that they'll blow through a blowgun at a bird or at a monkey 200 feet up in the tree and will kill them immediately. And it's used in the West is the basis of anesthesia in the West. So I dropped it immediately and he said, no, you don't have, you can touch it. It's only if it touches your blood that it kills you very rapidly. So I asked him, well, how did you discover this? And he said, well, let's ask the old man. And we trekked through the forest or the edge of the river to the village and we asked the old shaman, how did you discover curare? Because it has seven different plants that have to be cooked for eight to nine hours, and that produces very beautiful scent, flowery scent, that if you inhale it, you die immediately. And I said, how did you discover the formula for this? And he said, simple, the plants told us. The plants told them. (laughs) They gave him the formula for ayahuasca as well. When you heard that, what did you think? I said, this guy's full of shit. I, you know, it was a, it, when I started talking to the plants myself, then I understood what they said. And that was part meant. of your training? That was actually part of the, the work that you were doing with the Leica? That's part of the work that I did with the Amazon, the Amazon shamans. In fact, when I first took the plant, the psychedelic, the, the plant medicine, the ayahuasca, it was almost many, many years ago, probably 50 years ago. And at that time, you weren't allowed to take it unless you did a very strict preparation for it. So the preparation for me had to do with fasting, with praying, with diet, with cleansing. And during the preparation, I saw how my skin, I had really bad skin conditions, how the skin conditions began to disappear. I saw how the uh, muscle aches and joint aches that I had were, were gone. 
So I said, wow, this is fascinating. The preparation itself seems like a, like a great cure, like a great treatment. And so I went, I went back to the Amazon many years later. I started looking at the plants that are used to prepare for meeting God. They were all of these plants that are epigenetic regulators that silence the genes that create disease and switch on the genes that create health. I was blown away by it. And it's, and it's all in, you know, the research is there. Today we have the science for it, which is the beautiful, the beautiful piece of this. So what you were able to do was to bring that knowledge which you acquired through the training in the Amazon and with the elders, and then you connected with doctors like Mark Hyman and David Perlmuter, and we're collaborating with them in developing ways to, to, to frame and package this knowledge in a scientific and Western context through books like Power Up Your Brain and right. courses that you taught. Can you talk a little bit about that, the, the process that you went through in order to make that leap? Because that's quite a jump for, yeah. to, to move from that shamanic context to a more Western medical approach. It looks like a big jump from the outside, but from the inside it really isn't because these shamans live in nature's pharmacy. So they, they are adept at working with the plants. Now, for us in the West, in the United States, we practice our, the urban shamans that, that we meet, the Western shamans, are really are practicing kind of a shamanic psychology only because they're, they're using their rattles and their feathers and their crystals, but now you, they're, not using, they're not using the plants. And if they use the plants, they'll use the psychedelic plants, but they're missing out on a whole cornucopia of plants that create health that are not used in the same way we use medicines in the West, which is to treat the seas. They're used to create health, to switch on the longevity genes. So many of our urban shamans today are still living with, within this dichotomy, mind-body dichotomy. You know, they're working with the mind, but they're not working with the body. They're not working with the, with the plant medicine. And so what I did was to really unify these, say, what are, what are the supplements that we can take that are genetic upregulators so we can get in a health food store today so we don't have to take the Amazon ones because <clears throat> those supplements are not standardized. You don't know the potencies you're getting. But we have products like resveratrol and sulforaphane that have the same effect and that create health. And today the statistics are so scary, Ken. The, you know, one out of two people will have Alzheimer's, diagnosable Alzheimer's at the age of 85. But we have the tools, they come from the Amazon. We know how to work with them and we know how to wake up from this nightmare of health that we're getting stuck in to be able to dream our health and our world into being. We have the resources to dream our health, our bodies, our relationships, and our destiny into being. It's available to us. It's only a matter of choosing to use it. We have so much to learn from these lineages of energy-based medicine, whether they come from South America and the shamanic traditions, 
or from the East. Energy work, energy healing is much more a part of the standard medical practice that is at the center of their society. In the West, the old school materialist paradigm, which has gotten us so far in so many ways, has also brought us to the edge of a serious crisis. The planet can no longer sustain it. And at the same time, our bodies are suffering from the diseases that the materialist paradigm creates that are not necessary. We don't all have to have dementia. We don't all have to suffer from heart disease, obesity. So many people do, and it's, it's a terrible tragedy. But if we can learn from these ancient practices and understand what the human body is actually capable of through its energetic connection to all of existence, we can enter a new phase, a new understanding of what it is to be human, where wellness is something we can all take for granted. It's a beautiful possibility, and it feels closer than you might think. I want to thank Alberto Vivaldo for being a guest on the podcast, and thank you also for joining us. You can find out more about Alberto and his work at the4winds.com. That's the4winds, spelled out, dot com. If you like what we're doing here on The Evolver, please let us know. Send us an email at theevolver.net. Post a review on iTunes. That's very helpful for us. And, you know, share the episode with your friends on social media. That's the best way for us to get the word out and to bring more people to the table. You can follow us on Instagram at The Evolver Podcast and on Facebook at Evolver Social Movement. Just remember to subscribe to us, to The Evolver, on iTunes, Google Play, Acast, or on the podcatcher of your choice. I want to thank our producer, Jose Alfaro, and the Acast team. Our theme music is Measure by Measure by Paul D. Miller, a.k.a. DJ Spooky, from his album The Secret Song. And our interstitial music are tracks by The Human Experience, Sunu from the album Soul Visions with Rising Appalachia, and Here for a Moment on the album Gone, Gone, Beyond. Please check them out. That's all for now. We'll be back next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.